Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Unexpected vet bills. Yeah. Those three little words can make even the most seasoned breeder nervous. Fortunately, there's Trupanion, medical insurance for pets. A Trupanion policy can help cover the cost of unexpected new accidents or illnesses, allowing you to focus on what really matters, the health of your pet. Last year, Trupanion paid out a wide variety of claims. From sock ingestion to torn ACLs, they've covered it. While you're at it, make sure to take advantage of Trupanion's Breeder Support Program for exclusive access to a special Trupanion offer for your litters, a breeder referral program, and your own dedicated account manager, all at no cost to you. Just follow the link to Trupanion on my partner page and be sure to let them know that Pure Dog Talk sent you. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and my friend and favorite recurring guest, Amanda Kelly of Fuegle Toy Manchester Terriers in Canada, is coming to join me today. And we are going to talk about some, what would we think of these? They're ideas, right, Amanda? Ideas are a thing. <laughs> sure. Let's go with that. This is an idea that has been discussed and circulated and chewed on. Your concept that you originally, we were talking about was non-breeding contracts. Mine is limited registration, which is the conversation that's been happening down here in the States. And I think that your basic posit, which is that most of us who are in purebred dogs today did not start with a dog that had a 10-page contract. We probably started with a dog from the newspaper. Right. It's one of those kind of interesting things where even maybe the best of us, if we look back on our history and where we started from, we all started somewhere and not always necessarily in what we would today term the right place. Right. Well, and the right, quote unquote, with our air quotes, place has changed legitimately. Where it was very normal, go back and look the 40s and 50s. And there were dogs advertised in the Sears catalog. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think, you know, I mean, the whole dog world, the world has changed. Yes. So there's lots of layers as to why and very good reasons. Yes. In a lot of ways, as far as advances and in, in how we view dogs in our society. But regardless of the reasons why they've changed, we have to kind of look at what the effect of that is on the world that we live in, in the dog world. And the repercussions that are associated with this sort of rise of more restrictive opportunities to take part in our sport. Yes. And I think that's what it boils down to. And if you have a litter of four puppies and three of them go on a non-breeding contract or a limited registration, two things happen. One is that you don't get three more people involved in the sport of purebred dogs. And the second is that you've lost the genetics of those three dogs. 
Mm-hmm. It's a difficult topic to really explore in some ways because we don't really have a way of comparing what proportion of dogs went on to be bred, you know, in the 50s versus today. Certainly, there were probably more dogs being produced just in general. So we have to recognize that as well. But I think you're 100% right. You know, in my breed in Manchester, one of the conversations that comes up again and again is this idea of protecting our breeds into extinction. Yes. And that's not a judgment. I'm not saying that as if, you know, somehow we're doing something wrong. We obviously are all working with the very best of intentions and with the greatest hope in our heart to keep the breeds that we have going. So for all the right reasons, we're doing these things, but it doesn't change the fact that on the other end of that, there is a negative impact just from a numbers perspective. And that may not make as much of a difference when you're talking about a breed like Golden Retrievers. But when you're talking about otter hounds or you're talking about, you know, Manchester's, Manchester's, it does make a big difference. Mm -hmm. So I don't have an answer. I like to think I deal in questions (laughs) a lot. (laughs) That's why you are a valued guest on Pure Dog Talk, (laughs) because asking questions is important. Asking the right questions is even more important. (laughs) Well, yeah. And, you know, look, you were saying earlier we were going to discuss ideas. I think we're discussing sort of the musing of active minds in the middle of the night. We can go lots of ways with that. I just. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fair enough. But I really believe that, you know, some of my favorite breeders and the people that I enjoy talking to the most are the ones who, you know, really stop and think about not just what they're doing, but why. And this discussion and this idea for this discussion It emerged in a conversation that I had a few weeks ago at a dog show, and I was very excited to finally be at a dog show after so many weeks. Right. But regardless, a few weeks ago, I was at a dog show, and I had a conversation with a fellow breeder, longtime dog person, who said something really interesting that really made me think. And not just, you know, it was a great conversation in the moment, but it stuck with me. And, you know, I thought about it on the drive home, and I thought about it in the shower the next day. And what he said was... I really believe that one of the nails in the coffin, so to speak, and maybe that's a negative view, but nevertheless, one of the nails in the coffin of a lot of breeds was the rise of the non-breeding contract. And of course, I mean, you have limited registration in the U.S. In Canada, non-breeding contracts are actually registered by the Canadian Kennel Club. So they apply equally to dogs that you sell on a pet contract Mm -hmm. to a pet home as to other breeders. You can compete with a non-breeding contract in place. So that's a key difference. You know, I could sell you a dog and you could take it and show it and finish its championship and do whatever you want and still not be able to register any of the puppy. A litter from it. Right. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So it's slightly different, but regardless, I mean, the kind of the net effect is the same way. And so we started talking this small group with a lot of experience. This was a group that had people who've been in the dog world for 50 plus years. Mm -hmm. And of these five or six or seven people, they sort of laughed when he said that and thought, well, yeah, you know, if that had been around when I started, I wouldn't be here today because I bought my dog from a pet store and I bought my dog from the newspaper and whatever the case may be. And I thought that was a really interesting comment on how we start and why we keep going. And I think that that was the part that really, really interested me because, again, encouraging new people in the sport of purebred dogs, 
with the understanding that there are many events under that umbrella and that dog shows are not the only event Mm -hmm. in the sport of purebred dogs. But the more people who become involved in purebred dogs, the larger number of people from whom to choose the small percentage that will continue to go on as dog breeders. That's right. Because on top of the fact that you potentially limit your group with these contracts to begin with or agreements or whatever it may be. And to be clear, I'm not saying that these are bad things. I'm not saying that we're doing them for bad reasons. I'm just asking the question, Mm -hmm. have you thought about why you do it? Have you thought about why you put dogs on non-breeding contracts? Mm -hmm. Because I think sometimes we just do it by road. I think sometimes that everything goes on a non-breeding contract. We don't stop and think about whether or not that necessarily needs to be the case. I can tell you, my heavens, you know, I remember years and years ago, my mother and myself dealing with pet people. And they would come to the house and they would look at the dogs and they'd say, you know, well, you know, I, I think I might like to breed them. I can't remember the last time that a pet person said to me, I want to breed my dog. I mean, the interest among the pet owning population in breeding dogs is negative 3000%. Yes, that is what has caused me to rethink this. So in recent years, so I'm going to say the last five years, this has become an awareness and a conversation because of pure dog talk, to be honest with you, and at least in my part, is I'm talking to more people and more people are talking about this. And so I made this conscious decision because I had always put my pet puppies on limited registration. Mm-hmm. And so the litter that I had about four years ago, I had a litter of puppies and I was down to, there were 12 puppies in this litter, right? And there's puppy number nine. Now, puppy number 12 was born with her guts out and barely lived. You know what I'm saying? So she was definitely not anybody. And there were a couple others. And so then there's puppy number nine. And there's nothing really wrong with her. She's very bold, very confident, upstanding puppy. She was tight-coated. Wasn't entirely sure if she was going to have furnishings. At eight weeks, there's a few that you can have a fine line on. And the fellow had expressed interest to me in breeding her at some point. And in years past, And my gut reaction was to go, no, my God, no, you can't possibly do that. You don't know anything and you don't know, you don't have any homes and no, no. And I stopped before I said that. And I took this huge breath. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) And I said to him, let's do this. I'll sell her to you on a limited registration because that can be changed. Mm -hmm. And let's reevaluate when she turns two years old. Let's take a look at her. He said, okay, two years goes by and he brings me the bitch to see at a dog show. She turned out very pretty. She was well-furnished. She wasn't perfect. She wasn't a best in show dog, but you know, she was very pretty, very pretty stand-up little bitch. I was like, okay. He said, I'm still interested in breeding her. I said, all right, well, go get all the health clearances done. He went and got all the health clearances done. She passed them all. I said, okay, I'm lifting your limited registration. Go get a show championship on her. He went and got a show championship on her. This was puppy number nine Mm -hmm. in the order of quality in this litter in my evaluation. And she finished in three weekends. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a sign of a great litter. So congratulations. Well, okay. (laughs) But it also is a sign that while we are so busy wanting to 
improve the quality of our dogs, fix X, Y, or Z, confirmation fault, what have you. We are wasting those genetics of puppy number nine. Yeah, well, you know, that I think speaks to some of the laws of population genetics and the things that they recommend, one of which is you need to breed more dogs less often. Yes. And so the value of breeding, say, three littermate brothers three times each rather than one outstanding male nine times is much higher for your breed. So I think that that's a great example of that. I'm going to pause for a moment and just say that as a person who regularly has litters of like four, the idea of having 12 puppies makes me, I think I'd probably throw myself off my balcony. (laughs) I just finished a litter of 13. That's like a nightmare. (laughs) It was a lot. It was a lot. I bet. Anyways. (laughs) (laughs) But it does kind of underline, you know, when you are dealing with breeds that have very small litter sizes, that that's an even more important tenant. Absolutely. I think the other side of that is looking at not just the non-breeding contracts that we have with new people, right? but the types of agreements and contracts that we make even with other established breeders. So I always kind of use this as my example because I think as a breeder, I was just so shocked by this idea that I've come to understand is maybe more common than I thought. But I have friends who breed Papillons and they were really new in Papillons, but they are I think, really great people. They love their dogs. They take great care of them. They are always interested in finding them the best homes. They're always interested in planning the very best breeding, not just the breeding that's most convenient. Mm -hmm. They do their health tests, all of the things that you would want. And when they went out and started looking for a male to breed their bitch to, and she was, you know, not anything particularly special that, I mean, as much as I know about papillons, She was just kind of a run-of-the-mill papillon, and they wanted to do something with her. They wanted to really improve what they had. And so they went out, and they did their research. They talked to a lot of breeders. They picked some dogs that they thought would maybe help with the different aspects of what they wanted to accomplish in the breeding. And when they started inquiring about stud dogs, they found that the agreements that were attached to using these stud dogs were, I mean... It's shocking. I'm almost speechless at the idea that someone would say, well, yes, you can use my mail, but the agreement is that you cannot, as an example, sell any of the puppies out of the litter as a show puppy for the next two generations. I mean, I I don't don't even even know what to say about that. What do you even do with that? Right. And yet it was not a one-time thing. This was a common response that they got was these multi-generational strings attached to the dogs. Like it wasn't even just, here's your contract. You can't do this with the puppies out of my dog. It was two generations down the road, what you can and can't do. And I don't want to sound like I'm an unreasonable person. I do see both sides of this issue. I see that, you know, there are breeders in breeds that are very popular who need to do things like that, perhaps to protect their breeds, or they feel that they need to do that to protect their breeds. But the net result of that discussion for these ladies was really negative. You know, it turned them off looking for these better breedings. They were lucky enough that eventually they were able to bring a dog in from Europe and they did a lot of work to still accomplish the same kinds of improvements that they wanted. 
but it left a bad taste in their mouth. Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, as a breeder in another breed, I was just, well, honestly, I was appalled that breeders who profess to want to support their breeds and set up breeders to breed them into the future would make it so difficult to do that. And I think it goes full circle back to the conversation that you had with your friend at the dog show that started this conversation. And that is we have, to boil it down into a nutshell, we have snobbed ourselves into a corner. Well, I understand we don't want our dogs to wind up in puppy mills. We don't want our dogs to wind up in pet stores. We don't want puppies with our names associated in bad situations. We don't want our own dogs to have a negative life experience. I get all of those things and fundamentally support them. My suggestion is that if that is that big a concern, perhaps you need to do a better job vetting your buyers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't want to say snobbed only because, as I said, I really do think that people have the very best of intentions. I also think (laughs) this won't be popular. Snobs can have good intentions too, Amanda. That's right. That's true. This won't be a popular opinion, but you know me, I just kind of call them as I see them. Hey, here we are. Pure dog talk. Yeah. Unpopular opinions. Welcome. (laughs) I think that sometimes who we sell dogs to and what we allow them to do with them is as much about how it looks as anything else. This is a sport that is, you know, I've said it a thousand times. This is an ego sport. And that touches absolutely every aspect of what we do. And it's, for many people, a motivator and not always necessarily in the egotistical way that it sounds, Mm -hmm. but it also influences our decisions because we do make decisions based on how things will look as much as whether or not we believe they are right or wrong. Mm -hmm. Peer pressure is a real thing. Mm -hmm. So again, I'm certainly not here to advocate for all of us just going out and willy-nilly selling Randomly going to Walmart and putting our puppies in a shopping basket? No. That's right. No. (laughs) You know, there are such a thing as extreme ends of the thing, but I believe that on one end is the Walmart shopping cart extreme. On the other end is where many breeders are today in the U.S. and in Canada about how they place their dogs and with whom they place their dogs. And I think that it can be hard when you have, for example, a really beautiful show dog or even an average show dog, just a dog you'd like to see in a show home. And nobody comes along for that show home. And so you put it in a pet home and you sigh. Instead of sighing, perhaps, and this is what I have, again, tried to accomplish in recent years as I've thought more about it, is to encourage that person to try out some of the events that are available within the sport of purebred dogs. Mm -hmm. And maybe they last and maybe they don't. Maybe they get hooked and maybe they think it's stupid. But at least you've made the effort. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. All right, crew. Check it. Dog events are happening. 
for exhibitors who are able and willing to attend these events, it feels as if our tribe has been reunited once again. Meanwhile, for folks who are continuing to feel safest staying at home and away from crowds, and for folks who are driving long haul between far-flung events, I gotcha. I've been working hard to bring you all podcast episodes that help you feel connected to our larger community and offer opportunities for education and entertainment, no matter how you have managed through this truly overwhelming year. One of my favorite events this year is the monthly virtual Pure Dog Talk After Dark for patrons of our podcast. Anybody can join this fabulous community of dog enthusiasts by visiting the website and clicking on the Become a Patron link on the homepage. And while you're there zooming around on the site, you might think about checking out our shopping tab too. We've linked dog show vendors from all around the country so you can help support them during this really grueling loss of income suffered due to a lack of events. There's even a swag link that lets you order your Pure Dog Talk t-shirt, sweatshirt, fan case, mask, (laughs) ringside towel, and so much more. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you every day to make sense out of everyday things, to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box, to bring history to life, and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. So check out the links at www.puredogtalk.com. Your support adds up to a huge voice for purebred dogs. Therein lies perhaps, and speak to this if you would, the crux of the issue the effort, because it takes work. It does. And it takes time and it takes compassion and patience and a lot of things that many of us who are dog people and we're dog people because we like our dogs better than people are not particularly good at. Well, you know, that sort of dips into, I think, the idea of being a mentor and what that means. Being a mentor is hard work, and it's not always something that you necessarily choose to do. Sometimes you just kind of find yourself in that situation, and often it's not a formal relationship. It's not like someone comes to you and says, would you please be my mentor? And let me sign on the dotted line, right? Exactly, and we're going to make up a contract about what that looks like. So because there's not a relationship contract, it means that those relationships can be really messy. And they can be hard. It would be much easier if we did say to one another, would you be my mentor? Okay, here's a contract about what that looks like. And we're going to do this, this, and this. And it's going to be over at this point when this happens. Right. So because we don't do that, I think, and this is a whole new conversation. No, this is good. Really and truly, Amanda, this is all following on this concept of we seek to protect our dogs And as you said, we are protecting them into extinction. 
And we are also protecting them into the extinction of our sport. And there's two different things there. Well, I think that there's two sides of it. So when we talk about a mentorship relationship, there is being a good mentor and there is being a good mentee. Oh boy. And they are both very important. Sometimes both of those things are there and things will go well. What is difficult and what I think maybe creates some of these gun-shy reactions that make us hesitant to go down that path again is when it doesn't go well. And I know you have mentored lots and lots of people, and I'm sure you would agree with me that if you look back on the entirety of your time in dogs and all the people that you've worked with in that type of a relationship, there are probably really wonderful memories there. And there are probably a lot of really hard, hard lessons. Bitter. Exactly. And those are the things that are the most difficult to deal with, I think, as a breeder, because we set out with really great intentions to help people. And I like to see the best in people. So I think that the people that we're working with probably set out with good intentions as well. And at some point in time, our needs diverge. And that can create a lot of friction and a lot of animosity. And so when it comes to next time, you don't want to go there again. So, you know, I can think of an example in my own life. I had sold a dog to someone many years ago, many, many years ago. And she actually had come to me and said, you know, I had a dog from a breeder previously. It didn't really go well. I didn't feel that this person was helping me and mentoring me in a way that was helpful. And I really would like you to take that role in this relationship. And I, of course, said yes. It seemed like a new person in our breed, which is always welcome. And I mean, we spent hours on the telephone, hours and hours looking at the history, talking about the history of the breed and structure and the importance of temperament and health as considerations in breeding programs and planning breedings and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, before we ever even talked about getting a dog. And then when it was time that she wanted to get a dog from us, I talked a lot about what she wanted in that dog and what she could realistically expect to get as well. Right. So when we finally settled on a dog that we thought would be perfect, you know, it was a kind of a middle of the road pedigree that she could take in a lot of different directions, really structurally sound bitch, not super fancy and typey in head, but great legs under her, awesome temperament, just a good foundation bitch. And she had her I want to say that she had her for less than two months. And during that time, I mean, obviously I was talking to her regularly, but I had one or two conversations where she said, you know, I'm a little concerned about this or I'm a little concerned about that. And we talked through it because as you know, that's what you do. That's right. Puppies that are 10 or 12 weeks old or 14 weeks old or whatever, they look different at different stages. And if you're not used to looking at that, I mean, they get hella ugly for a while there before things start to come together. and. You know, one day I sort of got this call out of the blue, and I'm sorry, I know this is a long story, but one day I got this call out of the blue, and this person who I've been talking to for months said, you know, I think I need to return this puppy. It's not fuego quality. I don't, to this day, know what that means. And I just was shocked. I mean, I thought, okay, well, you know, what's the issue? Well, I was talking to such and such a person mm-hmm. who said X, Y, Z. And so, you know, I've decided I'm returning this dog. And I thought, but you never talked to me about that. Right. So how can I help you? Right. 
I think you're touching on and continuing forward with this concept of mentorship and good mentors and not so good mentors and the same with mentees. It is fraught with emotion. Yep. It is fraught with danger. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I absolutely 110% understand people who are like, yep, no, I'm out. I'm not talking to anybody, never helping anybody ever again. All they do is be mean to me. And the person on the other side who says, yep, nope, I'm never asking for help ever again because the last person I helped chewed me up and spit me out. Never. I understand it from both sides completely. Yeah. And we can do our little Pollyanna dance here and say, no, but it's important. Well, it is important. But I think we're back to Sheldon and his relationship agreement that understanding goes a long way. A little bit of grace goes a long way. And I think that, okay, this is my experience, my anecdotal life experience speaking, and I'm not going to share any of the incredibly bitter stories because they are incredibly bitter and still real and still active. I think the important piece of it is that when we start out as baby dog breeders, we have the best of intentions you were talking about. And that's usually when we get burned. Because we have great intentions and not really great skill sets. We don't have the skill set of understanding the other person's need. We don't have the skill set of being patient. We perhaps have a far grander opinion of ourselves than is warranted. (laughs) Oh, that is such an insightful comment. It really is. And so consequently, that's when things don't tend to go well. So if you just sign off sayonara after being a baby dog breeder and getting burned or a baby mentee and getting burned, you are not going to be able to move forward to experience the more successful opportunities that will come to you later in life. And I am entirely speaking from experience here. (laughs) Yeah, I think that as important as it is to mentor, what is probably just as important is being able to get back up and do it again. Yes. It's the hardest thing. And trust me, after a few times, it hurts. (laughs) Well, and you know, when I think back, the story that I was telling earlier, in that particular case, that bitch came back to us and actually became a really important foundation bitch for our own line because she was everything that we knew she would be. Right. But the other side of that was that my initial gut reaction was, I'm not doing this ever again. Mm -hmm. And I'm not selling any more show dogs. I think we went probably two years after that and just flat out refused to sell anybody a show puppy for anything Mm -hmm. because it just seemed like, you know, you kind of sink into that, you know, you can't do enough for anybody and you can't do anything right and blah, 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 which is maybe justified, maybe not. (laughs) But at the end of the day, you have to say to yourself, if I'm not willing to do this, who is hurt? Not you. Because it's not me. (laughs) I guess maybe it's just like anything in life. If you're not willing to put yourself out there, then sure, you are not going to get hurt, but you are also not going to be rewarded. And I think a full circle opportunity conversation talking about everything from not breeding to limited registration to why we don't sell show dogs. Here we are right back in the beginning again. Exactly. And so much about dogs is for me life lessons. What was my podcast a little while ago? My everything I learned about 
life I learned from my dogs. And I think that that is important. And God knows my failings are many and varied. But the important part is you keep trying. Well, you know, one of the things I love about Pure Dog Talk is that your conversations recognize that all of these issues are layered. Yes. Nothing is black and white. There is no right or wrong decision. You do the best that you can with the information that you have. You try to do the best that you can for the dogs that are in your care and the breed that you are a steward for. Yes. I think the beauty of a conversation like this is not necessarily, as we said, for everyone to go out and, you know, suddenly change everything they've done. It's just to prompt you to question why you do the things you do. And if you are making all of the decisions in a conscious way. Yes. And if the answer is yes, go forward. More power to you. Absolutely. We're going to have more conversations on a lot of these topics, Amanda, you and I. So listeners, you should be excited about that. I know I am. And looking forward to that opportunity. But I think as a wrap up, my thought is exactly what you just said would be to second it. You do the best you can with what you have to work with. And if we can provide you more to work with, maybe you can do better. That's a great ending. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, we are still sisters. Amanda, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk. 